Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Opera After Dark. It's not in that key. Today on the Opera After Dark podcast, we're talking about Massenet's opera Werther. Yes. So, (laughs) PSA at the start of this this episode, if you, I've heard it so many times. It's not Werther like Werther's original. If you're pronouncing it that way, it's an honest mistake. I get it. It is pronounced Werther. Yeah. Because it is in French. Well, it's an opera in French, but it was taken from a novel that was in German. So Werther is a German name, which is why the W is pronounced like a V. Like a V. Oh, that's that's interesting. So if anyone had any questions about it, it is pronounced Werther. I mean, I think that's it. We're good. Episode over. Well, can I? <laughs> that's the only thing you need to know. If I'm being totally honest, I'll never forget this because yes, I was so embarrassed. But when the three of us first started to work together, I remember on the season that year at the Met was Verter. Mm-hmm. And I, I, just a young chap, didn't know any better. I hadn't expanded my horizons that far in the repertory. Mm-hmm. And so I was like reading, I don't know if I was talking to the, on the phone with somebody or I was talking to somebody about this. And I was like, oh yeah, were there? And like in the moment, nobody said anything. And then like probably 10 minutes later, Elspeth, I heard you talking about the opera and you were like, yeah, Verter. And I was like, <laughs> oh God. Like I don't like to correct people's pronunciation unless somebody asks me how to pronounce something. Mm-hmm. Well, people get confused about like it. Of course, I feel like it's a dick move. And they feel uncomfortable. They're like, Werther? That doesn't seem right. There's not an opera called Werther. There isn't, because it's called Werther. Werther, based on the novel The Sorrows of Young Werther, by none other than Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Oh, man, people, you have to understand that when this book came out, so um, it's in letter form, the novel... Oh, I didn't know that about yes. the novel. What is that called? Epistolary? Yes. I think so. I might have mispronounced that. that Again, sounds right. mispronunciation. It happened. <laughs> um, so I cannot begin to describe to you how popular this book was. It came out when? In the the 18th century, right? Yes. I believe it was like, it was first published in 1774 and then it was revised and kind of republished again in 1787 so this book i think um i gave a lecture on it once and i asked any someone to give me an example of like a book that just swept the world and became super popular sold a bunch of copies became part of like the cultural lexicon and there's a woman in the front row who was like 50 shades of gray (laughs) (laughs) oh that's great like sure i was sure you were gonna say like uh harry potter like harry potter right this is obviously she didn't read harry potter (laughs) she's too old for harry potter but she was old enough for 50 shades of gray what kind Um, of an insane person would be completely unfamiliar with Harry Potter. Like, what kind of horrible human being? <laughs> Look, that was the book that came 
to her mind. So oh, I, I'm also I'm, right. I'm also just she was familiar. I'm with also Harry just Potter. joking because Naomi knows nothing about Harry Potter. <laughs> hey, I know it exists. She does know of Harry Potter. I know it of Harry Potter. Exists. I know it exists. I know a lot of the terminology, and by a lot, I mean a few things. But she's such a Hufflepuff. Oh no, is she a Ravenclaw? I probably a Ravenclaw. You think a Ravenclaw? Yeah. Oh, you think I'm a Ravenclaw? Don't what does Ravenclaw. that mean? Uh, we don't That's have enough bad. time to dissect it right now. No. <laughs> but yes, everybody everybody thinks of Harry Potter, Fifty Shades of Grey, and Verterre. Exactly. So the Sorrows of, of Young Verterre. This book, when it came out, it, I guess, just hit at the right cultural moment. People went fucking nuts for it um, all over the world. The character of Verterre is described as, um, you know, wearing these yellow breeches and having a blue overcoat. And there were people, that's like what they wore. They cosplayed as as Verter oh, for like yes. their, their day-to-day lives. People were, um, so not a spoiler, Verter is named after a person. So that person is dead at the end of it. Um, Verter <laughs> commits suicide. So there was this whole rash of like, copycat suicides people were like he killed himself for love when it's so romantic butter butter burr. right that's like a um, good thing as well right it is but this book is based on an incident that actually happened in goethe's life that was far less dramatic than he made it mm-hmm. um in the novel he had basically had a crush on this woman she married somebody else but instead of killing himself they all became friends and it ended very amicably whatever. in real life in real life, in real life. <laughs> oh in the book he kills himself um right. so yeah this book was super 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 popular and then many many years later uh Massine decides to turn it into an opera one of the bazillion operas that Massine wrote but i think only Verter and Manon are operas that are currently in like the regular cycle of most repertory houses. Although Cendrillon is coming back Making and I've gone on the record many times saying that Massenet Cendrillon is a froofy, frothy French <laughs> whipped cream kind of dessert confection and it's just a damn delight and yes. everybody should be doing it. It has a bunch of women in it and I think more operas need parts for women because you look in conservatories that's true it's very weighted towards the women although i want to take a stance right now against the word frothy as a descriptor of opera and theater i know why that's not against you elspeth people use it all the time and i'm like frothy frothy Frothy? effervescent i like that much better okay it's effervescent. Okay. <laughs> it's light. It's bubbly. It's, I don't know. Frothy is just It's like, so charming. It is. It's very charming. Frothy. Like most French comedy, it is effervescent. <laughs> um, but Naomi, do you want to do like a quick little thing about Massenet? I can talk about him super quick if you want. The two things that like really, the two or three things that really stick out for me with Massenet that I always remember about him is that I believe he as a youngster as a teenager he was a timpani player and was he i think so and so because of that um he had this you know very deep understanding of the orchestra because he was playing in orchestras from the time he was quite young right and then he also it's this is a super odd fact but 
A lot of times in that time period, composers didn't actually write the pitch that the timpani was supposed to play. Mm-hmm. And right. for those of you who don't know much about percussion, the timpani is a pitched percussion instrument. So you actually tune the drums to a specific pitch. And that's why there's like three or four of them and you tune them to the different pitches that you need. And so timpanists, when they are hitting the timpanies, they're not just like randomly beating whatever one is closest to them. (sighs) They're actually hitting the drum that is the right pitch for that chord in that moment. And I believe that Massenet played timpani And so because of that, he writes great timpani parts because he actually writes the pitch that the timpanist is supposed to play. Whereas before that, they would just put like an X note in the score. And they're just like figured out. Right. And it's like up to the timpanist to just like hit the right pitch. Right. (laughs) And so a lot of orchestral and uh, operatic timpani players actually have to do harmonic analysis of the scores to make sure that they are hitting the right and they have to write in the pitch that they're going to hit oh yeah i didn't know that yeah good on you that's a fun nugget from our our favorite metropolitan opera orchestra timpanist right that's right it is it is from jason who is the timpanist in the met opera orchestra and so he told this story about how his first season playing in the met opera orchestra he spent like all summer doing music theory analysis of the scores that he was playing in to make sure that he had all the right pitches written in and then in the first rehearsals he realized that like nobody said anything to him ever Mm -hmm. about the pitch that he was hitting and so he said i guess i did a good job because like you're only going to get spoken to about the pitch you hit if you're hitting the wrong one right right no conductor is going to stop and be like like, good on good you, job. Good on you, timpanist. Right, <laughs> like, hey. right, right. Note. Good job. Hey, yeah. timpani. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. But yeah, Massenet generally is a really important figure in French Romantic opera. Yes. He was called at one point La Fille du Wagner, or mm. the Child of Wagner, because he went through a period where he was quite a devotee or. Um, really admired Wagner and his compositional process and people have written a lot about how Massenet took the idea of leitmotif and he kind of gave it like a French twist right so he he is very important and a lot of people talk about him capturing like the feeling of the belle époque in music mm-hmm. right in French in in France at that time I think especially in something like Manon. Yes, Manon is known for that. And uh, he also, he just wrote a ton of music generally. He was very active Oratorios, as a composer. choral music, symphony, is he writing symphony? I think he, well, he wrote symphonic. He wrote symphonic mu- music. music. Right. Um, Does he have something that is non-operatic that's like kind of famous? That's No, a I'm sure he does. I'm trying to think. I always want to say, yeah, Carnival of the Animals, but that's Sasson, not... (laughs) Right, right. Mm. (laughs) It's just all the stuff that I... Are you mocking me, Kyle? (laughs) All the stuff that I know of his is is operatic or, uh, like, you know, has singers in it. Oh, he has a bunch of ballets. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. ballets are a big thing for him. Yeah. Nice, Kyle. Okay, so mostly known. What was the nice Kyle? Oh, that <laughs> you're like right, 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 right. right. Yes, <laughs> yes, right, right, of course, right, right, right. But of yeah, course, right, 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 right. 
I mean, I think he's most famous as an operatic composer. Yes, I would say so. But I am coming from it from a very biased perspective. Is there anything else that's like super scandalous from his life? Anything of note? There's nothing scandalous about his life. We were talking about this earlier. There's literally no scandal. Like there's nothing. Or we would have talked about him sooner. That's pretty atypical Um, for an opera composer. Yeah, It's scandalous how unscandalous his life true was he was born in in uh, 1842 died in 1912 um there are some pictures of him when he's in his 20s mm-hmm. i would <laughs> um let's just put that out there <laughs> just put that out there um he had a, a glorious mustache in his later years yeah he studied Big, like, walrus mustache died at the paris conservatoire won the prix de rome Dang. He studied piano with Liszt at at one point. Mm-hmm. Superstar Franz Liszt. He His did all the composition things. teacher at Paris was Ambro Thomas, who was most famous in operatic circles for writing um, that operatic version of Hamlet that people do oh, sometimes. Right. Somebody was just talking yeah. about that the other day. Really? Yeah. Yeah, we were talking about it with Maria Callas because in the hologram concert she sang a set right of excerpts from the Toma Hamlet. Uh, gotcha. Right. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. I guess like the closest thing to a scandalous thing about Massenet is that while he was taking piano lessons from Franz Liszt, he Wait, did he ever teach piano? Did he marry his piano student? Sorry, he didn't take piano lessons from Franz Liszt. He met Liszt. Um, and Liszt requested that Massenet take on this piano student. I guess maybe Liszt's docket was full. I don't know. <laughs> but he he oh. said, like, Massenet is also a great pianist. Like, there's this this young young girl who is would like to be a student or her family would like her to be a student. So maybe you can be her teacher. And so it was a, a wealthy patron of Liszt's their daughter, whose name was um, Louise Constance de Grecy, uh, nickname Ninon. Do they marry? Yeah. Uh, d- okay, so listen, this is the interesting thing. This is why we haven't talked about Massenet, because he ticks every box of, like, every composer that we've already spoken about. <laughs> <laughs> Paris Conservatory, prayed to Rome, married his piano student. <laughs> right. She's got to teach some piano lessons. That's how you find a wife. That's how you in you 19th met people. century Europe. But yeah. but it was a bit difficult because in the beginning, um, he was not making a lot of money when they met. He was not mm. a famous composer. Mm. He was, you know, this poor piano teacher. And but so, it was hot. I guess so. I think he. I mean, he looks pretty intense, but I think I would. His I hair th- is horrible. I think he's more handsome as an an older man than he is hot as a younger man if that makes sense i guess but i don't agree with you but that's fine fine. it takes all kinds in this world his hair is out of control out of control but is that what everybody's hair looked like in 1860 (laughs) you know (laughs) i suppose so so they couldn't marry right away Massenet, jules and nino nino but they eventually did and they had a happy marriage and it was fine great yeah. <laughs> nice. Okay. Good on you, Massenet. So yeah. Way to commit. not scandalous. So, what about Verter? What about it? So we told people how to pronounce it. Do you need to know anything else? I think it's helpful to know that a lot of people talk about it being a very Stormunt Drang kind of work because of when 
the source material was written, it was at the height of that kind of artistic aesthetic, mm-hmm. which is basically like over the top, dramatic. Like imagine like a storm on the ocean that you then have to like set to music and they use a lot of like storm as imagery or symbolism for like emotional turmoil, right? And right. And so because of that, the whole opera is just like super dramatic. It is. There's a wind machine. There's a wind machine? I didn't know that. Like always? Is it written in the score? Oh. Yeah. (laughs) There's also, fun fact, this is one of the few operas that has a saxophone. Yeah. We'll get to that. Lots of sax in that opera. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. All right. So, (laughs) Matinee writes Fair Terror. People are super jazzed about it because the source material, people are like, oh my God, it's Fifty Shades of Grey. Um. It premiered in 1892 in German, in Vienna. Oh, wow. And then the following year, 1893, is when it premiered um, in the French version, which is how it is performed right? traditionally. And I guess we're still around the time period where people wrote multiple languages. Multiple languages. So the opera could be performed in the language that the audience is familiar with because it's not like the t- titles. Yeah, subtitles or surtitles were not a thing. Right. And it was more common to just perform the opera in the language of the audience. So that's why you have German versions of Mozart's operas and Italian versions. And the same thing with some operas by the bel canto composers. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. So what, how does this opera open? Let's set the scene. All right. So there's this guy. His name's Le Bali. He's got seven kids. I'm going to tell you six of their... No, he's got eight kids. Dang. (laughs) I'm going to tell you six of their names and then forget them because only two of them matter. Um, So he has Fritz, Max, Hans, Carl, Gretel, Clara. I don't know if we ever know their names. I'm just reading it off of the internet. Forget them. It doesn't matter. It's basically the Von Trapps. They're basically the Von Trapps. Family Um, singers. So his two oldest daughters are Sophie and Charlotte. Sophie is kind of important. Charlotte is super important to the story. Oh, right, right. Um, right. So their mother has passed away. So tragic. as is normal for that time period, which was, yes, very tragic, that time period, um, the opera is set when the book is set, but I have seen it done in a bazillion different time periods. It, it truly does not matter. Right. Um, so... Charlotte, being the eldest and being a woman, has sort of taken over the role of um, mother mother to her siblings. Mm-hmm. To her siblings. She is caring for them. Charlotte's probably, I don't know. Fifteen? Tw- no. no. Jesus. Twenty? <laughs> oh, is now she? She, and Charlotte was like 20. Sophie's like 15. And the other of them are just like children. doesn't matter. Yeah. They're like a children's chorus. Fritz and Hans and Carl and Gretel and Clara and <laughs> Liesel and, <laughs> and Liesel and Brigitte. <laughs> so they're all running around and um, everyone's excited because there's um, there's like a house party in, in the neighborhood down the street. And Charlotte's going to go. She's going to have this night. She gets to be an adult. She puts on a pretty dress. Everyone's so excited. Oh, we're so sad our mom is dead. But. What a fun thing for Charlotte. Um, And, of course, a woman cannot go to a party by herself. And so their next-door neighbor, Verter, who's a poet, because that's a viable career path (laughs) at that day and age, um, 
He's going to come over the hill and he is going to escort Charlotte to this party. They're going to have a great time. He's going to bring her back. Wonderful, fantastic, great. Veritaire's an awesome dude. Isn't Veritaire also the friend of Albert? No. Oh, okay. No, no, no. We'll get to that later. Okay. He might be in the book, but in the in, oh, the, okay. in, the, in okay. the opera, that is not okay. That is not a thing. Okay. There also are a couple other characters. I'm going to give you their names, but again, they don't matter. <laughs> you got Schmidt. You got Johan, who are Labali's friends. Who cares? They're gone. Um, you have Brulman and Kachin, who literally have like two lines in like the house party scene forget them it doesn't matter um you're just like why don't these people get useless from the opera useless to the story i think kachin literally has like one line where they're like dancing and she's like oh this party's so great <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying if you're looking at resumes for a singer and they say like i've like roles they've sung kachin you're like okay <laughs> so like nothing it's like just spinning in a circle with Brumel, she's like, this body's so wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Again, forget them. They don't matter. Um, Verter sort of comes over the hill and you hear Verter's leitmotif theme music playing in the background as he enters. Let's, let's take a listen to that now. Charlotte's like let's go and he's like great let's do this um and they go to this party uh we don't actually see the party there is a scene in the current Met production where they do show it and they sort of just repeat some of the music that has already occurred so it's just like a little dancing sequence mm. basically what happens is that oh they fall in love <laughs> classic obviously just classic. and so just classic and they fall in love um well, he's a man escorting her to a party. What did you expect to happen? Right. It's true. It's obvious. Mm-hmm. It's very, very true. Um, and so he brings her back. It's like twilight. Oh, mm, God. The most romantic time. Um, and they have this full-on conversation where she talks about how much she misses her mother. And he's just sitting there like, ugh, this woman. <laughs> Like, not really listening to what she's saying. I know. That's, that's, that's when you're listening. like, okay. they um, have this full-on conversation. Right. <laughs> it's more of a monologue. I thought you were um, going to go elsewhere with that, but that's exactly. okay. No, no, no. Just full conversation. Full-on make-out sesh. But he's like, he's a poet. He's wishing for that. Exactly. Right. He's yeah. a poet, and he's a tenor. And so 
he's just full of all these romantic feelings and they boil over and he sings the first of a couple of crazy arias for the character of Verter, who once he gets on stage is like on stage a lot and his music's high mm-hmm. um so listen to some of that right now. It's the Reva Extaza where he's like, ecstasy, this beautiful dream. I will love you for the rest of my life. Oh my God, how did we not find each other sooner? It's finally happening. <laughs> so listen to some of that. really pretty it's like this orgasmically beautiful like the orchestra is huge and it's swelling underneath him it's great so that happens and then um we found out in a previous scene while they're off at the ball um that this man named albert is back from the war um and that's important because albert is charlotte's fiance bum, bum, bum. so we have this scene where they're together and everything's romantic and they're full of all these feelings the music's swelling and it's like it's happening they're gonna kiss and then off in the distance backstage you hear a voice who is her father and he's like charlotte charlotte albert is back and all of a sudden she's like shit i forgot about <laughs> albert got him engaged <laughs> damn Charlotte, Albert de retour. Albert, Albert. Oui, c'est lui qui m'appelle. M'a fait jurer d'accepter pour l'époux. Dieu me témoigne qu'un instant près de vous, j'avais oublié le serment And the the problem, the internal problem she has is that she, Albert is a very nice man. There's nothing wrong with Albert. He's baritone. He's great. Very steady. Very solid. Nice guy. Um, the problem is the last thing that Charlotte promised her mother on her deathbed is that she would marry Albert and he would take care of her and help take care of the family. That's what her mother wanted for her and so Charlotte feels super conflicted because she's like this is the last thing I promised my dying mother 
I can't go back on this promise, but I'm like super into this guy right who's really unstable <laughs> a poet <laughs> a poet where and you so she's like i can't water boy approach and say what mama don't know won't hurt her mm, if only charlotte had watched water boy <laughs> she hadn't water boy didn't exist back <laughs> no, then this opera would have turned out differently this opera was pre like the adam sandler <laughs> oeuvre <laughs> Right. <laughs> I never thought that was a phrase only, we would utter on this podcast. Only just <laughs> barely. Just only just barely. Just by like a hundred um, years. Give or yeah, give or take about a hundred years. Mm-hmm. So Charlotte's like, oh my god, I'm so into this dude. I can't do this. I promised my mother this is the one thing she wanted for me. I'm gonna honor that. So she runs off and their tears like, oh no. Mm-hmm. Um, curtain. Curtain. Is it Act One? I mean, there's a whole scene I didn't talk about where, like, Albert shows up and Sophie, the little sister, comes out and they have this cute little scene Oh, where she's like, oh, I'm so happy to see you. And he's like, oh, it's so nice to see you. Tell me what's been going on. How's my woman? And everything's great. Whatever. Wow. Curtain. Act two. Act two. How many acts are we talking about? Act two. Four. All right. Classic. French opera. Four? Four. Um, Act two. Curtain rises. Slowly. Johan, <laughs> very slowly. <laughs> Johan and Schmidt are there. What are they doing? What are they talking about? It does not matter. Um, so three months have passed, and Albert and Charlotte are married. That was Whoa. fast. They're married. Well, they've been engaged for a long time. Right. I He's guess back so. from the war, so why wait? Why wait? Now's the time. They're married. They are in the town square because they're going to church to celebrate. Um, the minister's like 50th wedding anniversary or whatever. So everybody goes into the church and then out comes Fairter. He's all sad. <laughs> um, and he's like, everything's terrible. <laughs> he's like a, he's the original emo in many ways. Oh yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And then Sophie comes out and she kind of has this like little girl crush on their tear and she sings her aria which is pretty famous in like soprano circles um there's a duga listen to some of that basically she's just singing a little tune um hey look at my pretty flower she's trying to cheer verter up because he's very down in the dumps because the love of his life is married to somebody else whatever um so let's listen to a little bit of that Oh, le sombre visage 
happens and then everybody applauds because it's lovely and nice and then Verterra's like get the fuck out of my face and <laughs> Sophie sort of runs off upset because Verterra's got a lot of feelings that he's now going to work out in front of everybody um, oh. so he has a big scene he's contemplating um, suicide because that's what you know poets do or whatever right, right when they don't get their way and, and then he tries to talk with Charlotte. Yes. Yeah, so Charlotte comes out of the church before everybody else exits. And they have this whole real weird conversation where she's like, you know, I'm married now. And he's like, I love you. And she's like, oh, I'm married now. Um, and it just, it ends badly. And she goes off and Verter realizes that he's, you know, in love with Charlotte. This is, Hopeless. Hopeless. This is sort of the end. A lot of Act Two is Verter just singing a lot of very heroic, very high notes about like I love her, his situation in yeah. life, <laughs> and then everyone else sort of like functioning around him, <laughs> kind of thing. That's basically what happens. It's like him shouting into the void. Like. Basically, <laughs> that's sort of a what happens in Act Two. Albert is there, and he tries to talk to Verter. Um, you know, Albert is this nice guy. His notes going on, so they have this conversation where Albert's like, "Man, it's just really great to be married, and Charlotte's <laughs> just wonderful." And you know, it's just finally this is awesome. And Viter's like beating his head against a window <laughs> next to him and things like that. So Viter realizes that he loves Charlotte. Charlotte's like, "I don't know what to do," and Albert is like, "Oh, this dude's in love with my wife." Curtain. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Everybody has epiphanies. Everyone has epiphanies. Um, act three. In act three, this is really uh, Charlotte's act. It opens with um, a very famous, very long aria from her called the Letter Aria. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Is, so she goes, Verter, Verter. Um, oh, that one. Oh, you know, that one. <laughs> Um, did she write him a letter or did he write her a letter? They've been writing letters to behind e- Albert's back to each other. <laughs> um, a lot of stuff has been going on uh, behind the scenes. So we're now like at Christmas time. So this has been months, months later. Okay. Um, so like Verter has come to their house. They've tried to include him in, in their lives, but he cannot get over the fact that he's desperately in love with Charlotte. All this stuff happens during intermission. 
Right. So they've been writing letters to each other, and Charlotte's like, you have to, she's like, you have to get over, so you have to let me go. And he's like, I can't, I can't. Um, I'm leaving, I'm going away. And she's like, well, promise me you'll come back. And he's like, I'll come back, and I'll, I'll be here on Christmas Eve, and then we'll, we'll have it out. <laughs> she's like, yes, come back on Christmas it's Eve. an oddly specific so time. Eve. And then outside the house, you hear, Noel, Noel. Noelle. Right, the kids are back. <laughs> like all the kids form a little like Von Trapp family singers. Ensemble, and they're caroling. And they're caroling outside. The and so like in between things you hear this children's chorus sprinkled in. Which will come Noelle, back later, Noelle, I think, in a very effective Noelle. way. Yes. Yeah. And Vertier's so it's Christmas Eve and Sean's like, like shoves a kid into the snow. Like Shut up. No. <laughs> Albert's not Albert's fault. Um, so it's Christmas Eve, so Charlotte's like, fuck, he's coming back. So she's got like all their their, their uh correspondence around her and she's reading the letters and she's basically, you know, in all this turmoil because she wants to be a good wife and she married Albert and she's loyal to him and he's wonderful, but like she has this like deep burning, frankly unsustainable passion. passion for Verter. So it's this huge scene. Um and she's like wondering what's gonna happen when he comes and am I gonna have the strength to like push him away? Or is like it's gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> and the answer is And then um no. And then um Sophie comes in and she tries to cheer up Charlotte. I mean, Sophie's job is basically like to <laughs> cheer up the whole who, who, the main characters that are around her. Um, and then Charlotte sort of um, lashes out at her, and Sophie's like, "I'm sorry, what's going on?" And then Charlotte sings another aria, and this is a very, very famous aria because this basically is uh, Charlotte accompanied by the saxophone. Oh yeah. Ooh. Oh yeah. This is Va Les of Melecularma, which just means um go and let me be here alone with my tears. <laughs> so let's listen to some of that.
Did you already point out that this is a, a mezzo roll? I didn't. It's a mezzo roll, by the way. We're in Act 3, and then Sophie's like, okay, well, you know, let me know if you need anything. I love you. And Charlotte's <laughs> like, I love you so much. It's like this very dramatic. They hug, and she's like, I love you, and all this kind of stuff. Um, and then my favorite <laughs> entrance, uh, any opera ever. Yes. Like the music rises, it's very tempestuous, and she goes, Oh, verte. And then it's like 45 seconds of like crazy instrumental orchestral music playing. Verter has entered the room, which makes this why she turns around. She's like, Oh, verte. And then it's just like 45 seconds of crazy instrumental music, and he's just standing there, <laughs> and she's just standing there. And then he sings my favorite line in this opera. He just goes, We, oui, c'est moi. <laughs> <laughs> kills me it's like we know it's fucking you dude <laughs> i love it that there's a 45 second break between he's just like standing and the music's like yes it's me oh it's great so he's there he is not down to mess around he's like it's christmas eve Let's do this. Ooh. So she's flitting around with him, being like, "Oh, how's it going? Da, 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 da. <laughs> How have you been, sir? How have you been? Oh, look at this <laughs> this book of poetry on on the table. Remember when you came over in the summer and we translated together? And oh God, wasn't that so much fun? Um, and he takes the book and he's like, "I remember this book." <laughs> <laughs> and then, then he sings an aria about the that poem. And then he, he he it's uh the poetry of uh of Ossian, who is this German poet. And then he sings. Truly the most famous thing in this opera. It's Pourquoi Me Réveiller. Let's just listen to somebody sing it. It's dope. Mm -hmm. It's great.
At the end, where he like unlatches his jaw and sings the hi hi, <laughs> brutal. I'm having all kinds of mental imagery of Jonas Kaufman un- unhinging his jaw to sing a high note. But so he sings his aria, right? Most famous aria, the most famous, the tenor, like the most famous French tenor aria, yeah, of all time. I think of like this kind of romantic music, not like Amezami, right? Kind of thing. Um, it's fantastic. People lose their shit because it's very dramatic. Um, and then they have this big, huge scene, the two of them, um, because he turns to her and he, he sees that she's crying. He's like, why are you crying? She's like, I'm not crying. What are you talking about? Just go away, go away. And he's like, oh shit, you're crying because you love me. <laughs> I knew and it. And she's like, I don't love you. What are you talking about? And he's like, you love me. No, I don't. I knew you. No, I don't. And finally she's like, Yes. I love you. Um, and that is usually the moment in the opera where the director decides to take an extended pause that's not in the music so they can hardcore make out because yes, they need to at least kiss. Right. So there's an embrace. <laughs> there is an embrace. An embrace. <laughs> so <laughs> clinical. <laughs> Sometimes it's like a brief thing. Sometimes they're like rolling around the floor. It's whatever people want to um there's an embrace and charlotte comes to her senses and she's like what am i doing here in your arms we can't have this and he's like what are you talking about we've said that we loved each other it's all gonna work out now oh and she's no. like i have to go leave me alone and she runs away like basically runs out of the room and locks the door behind her so he's banging on the door and he's like charlotte. shit what's happening so he runs out and he's like i'm gonna i'm gonna kill myself it's over for me. It's over for me. So he leaves. And then Albert comes back in. And Charlotte opens the door. And Albert's like, I just saw Albert leave. What's going on? And she's like, nothing. <laughs> um, <laughs> so she's very upset. So it's a little tense between them. And then this messenger comes for a letter that I guess Bertier wrote in like <laughs> the 10 seconds that he had to leave their and fucking house. He's like running messenger. down the driveway. He's like running down the driveway. <laughs> writing with a quill. And he's like, take this to Albert. <laughs> This is, this is when it needs to be like an actual um, like drunk history episode, <laughs> oh, no. where you see like you see actors in full costume just like acting out Elspeth's narration. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh god. I'm just picturing Jonas Kaufman like <laughs> he leaves. <laughs> 
he leaves the house and he like quickly like scribbles something on a piece of paper and like just like shoves it in the face of the messenger he's like take this take it to the house oh man (laughs) all right okay there just happened to be like a mailman outside (laughs) he's like what um okay so so by an an act of theater a message has been successfully delivered to albert yes um messenger his valet whatever and it's a note from verter and verter is like hey albert what's up um i'm gonna go on a trip for a while are you down with me borrowing your pistols oh jeez. which i guess is like a normal request that people ask their friends so albert's like okay <laughs> and so he gives the guns <laughs> Like to the to the ballet to the to the messenger and is like mm, can you give me silver tear and he's like all right and he leaves and Sarlat's there and Shot's like oh shit she knows in her heart that like he's not really bad's going to happen that he's not going on like, like a hunting party he's like to the great beyond okay okay his extended trip to Valhalla right um, <laughs> and so she. Is like, oh, God. And she runs out into the night. And then we have the orchestral interlude, which is uh, Christmas Eve, the Nuit de Noël. Mm-hmm. Um, and when the opera is performed, there's no break between Act 3 and Act 4. There is this orchestral interlude. Um, and the music's very dramatic. There's the wind machine because it's cold. It's Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yes, exactly like that. And we um, are into Act 4, which is my favorite act of this opera because it's so ridiculous act four is called the death of verter surprise (laughs) (laughs) okay so charlotte comes and she's banging on the door and she's like verter verter what's going on she's arrived too late he's shot himself oh you know basically in the chest and he's dying he dies for a very long time yes and they sing a lot together as he's dying. She's basically saying to him, you know, I've always loved you. And he's like, I love you too. And she kisses him, which is the only thing he's ever wanted. And he's like, we're going to be linked together. This is wonderful. And um, there are so many. <laughs> Isn't there a moment where she's like, no, 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 you're not going to die. Like, we're like, you're going to pull through and like, you'll be okay. And we'll, we'll like figure it out. And he's like, no, I'm dying. <laughs> Pretty much. And then there are, when I say a couple, I mean at least two or not three where Charlotte has an outburst and she's like, oh, my God, his eyes are closed. This is it. It's the end. He's gone. And then you hear like, Charlotte. <laughs> and he's like. He keeps like dying and waking up and dying and waking up and dying and waking up. He's like, I'm not dead yet. Yes. It's like a classic uh, so Monty very Python beautiful. scenario. Exactly. A lot of yet. the the themes and the motive, musical motives that we've heard previously come back it's Mm -hmm. it's very beautiful it's very sweet it's just the two of them but then the one part that really kills me is that the kids choral singing Mm -hmm. it comes back after we've had this very dramatic very sad music you hear these children singing about christmas eve and the solo voice it's usually sophie that sings it this Mm -hmm. beautiful little line about christmas eve and birth and and things like that and then there's like a musical sting and yeah, he said <laughs> he did. So he, he so did. he doesn't sing anything like right before he dies. It's like Charlotte's holding him in her arms, and you hear the kids and yeah, they they have like sung basically like the end of their duet, and she's holding him. Mm-hmm. 
and then the the kids are singing. Actually, she goes to the window and is like, I need oh, them to right. stop what is happening. He's like, no, this is wonderful and beautiful. And the music builds, and he's singing louder, and he's like, the voices. Oh, that's what happens. It's mm-hmm. like the voices of the children. They're like, you know, it's Traviata. Yeah. Um, I'm filled with this, I don't know, the spirit of Christ. Um, right, like, will revive me. I feel better. I feel right. better now. I feel better. And then death. Always feel better right before they die. It's true. And then yeah. she's like, oh, they're tired. She's like, oh, now my life is over. The end. That's how it ends. Wow. Kind of with, like, not a bang, but a, it kind of just whimpers out. Into so who is the most <gasps> prominent interpreter of Charlotte in, in recent years? Oh God, I don't know. Are I mean, you fishing, sir? <laughs> I mean, you are how fishing could you, for how this. How could you not fall in love with her? She's beautiful. <laughs> she. I, I was going to say a gorgeous voice, the... <laughs> a kind face. She's wicked smart. <laughs> Thank you, Matt Damon from Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> Or Ben Affleck. See, this time we need video so you can see Elspeth's face. It's the, the not impressed face. I was going to say don't, that don't you Charlotte even. is usually sung by a bigger voiced mezzo, but there are trends in recent years where lighter voiced mezzos have sung the role. Frederico von Stade very famously did it on a recording. It was, it's her and Jose Carreras. Oh. Um, in recent years that the Met, Kyle's girlfriend, Isabel Leonard, did it mm-hmm. with with uh, Vittorio Gugolo. And then the Met's bringing it back this season and Joyce Donato is singing. Oh, I didn't know she was the one yeah, singing. Yeah, singing Charlotte and Piotr Berchawa Ooh. is singing for Terre, so that'll be fun. Uh, um, a yeah. funny, another funny story I have with this opera is that it it was also on the Met stage, uh, like right after I left New York, like right after, mm-hmm. and I was road tripping across the country, and like it was literally the day that like I drove away from New York, and oh, you were so symbolic. And mm-hmm. on uh, Instagram or something, some social media, there was a clip of Vittorio Grigolo and Isabel Leonard singing in Verter. And so, like, I just, like, stumbled upon it and heard that music. And I was like, what have I done? (laughs) (laughs) How could I leave this? (laughs) But it ended up just fine. But in that moment, I was like, oh, my God. It kept pulling you back. It's a horrible mistake. Terrible mistake. This music is so beautiful. These voices are so good. So I saw it live for the first time. At the Met with you, Elspeth. Mm-hmm. And it I remember. In. Yes, I think it was on that day, actually. Right, right. <laughs> Very same day. And I remember when in the final act, I just remember turning to you at one point and being like, there's so much blood because in the in the production that's on stage right oh, now yeah, at the you, Met. You do see him shoot himself. You see him shoot himself and there is just blood everywhere it like spatters everywhere i feel like he now i don't remember but i feel like he shoots himself in such a way that you're like he didn't immediately (laughs) right merely a flesh like there's blood spatter in a wall behind him and you're like huh 
and then but then like the bed is soaked in blood and he is soaked in blood and, and then, then she becomes soaked in blood yes because oh in the so. scene before they have her in like a, a white night dress of course. so she runs out into the night in a coat and this white night dress so she's white and she's covered in blood and all this kind of it's stuff it's very dramatic and also um, the stage for that particular production in that moment it's almost like they put it in a smaller box and bring it forward on mm-hmm. the stage. So I just remember the sound of the singers was so present. So it like amplified the drama even further of the music because their voices were just like pinging off this like set that was a box almost constructed like a horn, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. that it's like amplifying the voices outward. It was crazy. And in that production, it does end with Charlotte taking the gun and right. bring it to her head and then everything goes black. Oh, no. And that's not that's not in the score. That's like a directorial choice. Uh, right. And that's a production that if Goethe saw it, he'd be like, yes, yes, that's exactly what I was going Probably. for. Probably. I feel like Maybe. Goethe was a, I don't know, a messy, messy bitch who loved drama. <laughs> and that's where we're going to end it, folks. Goethe was a messy, messy bitch. <laughs> I think in the novel... Like, Charlotte does outlive him, and she, like, visits his grave and such. Oh, yeah. I think so, yeah. Absolutely. Like, under the linden tree. Yeah. Or something. Elspeth, I really enjoyed this dramatic retelling of the plot of Fair I did, too. Anytime. I I really like this opera. The music's really beautiful. I really love the combination of mezzo and tenor singing together. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's fun. And it's, I mean, it's not fun, but I enjoy it. I think it, like, really hits, hits, like, emotionally home it does and it's yeah. so lush and mm-hmm. so romantic yeah mm-hmm. well yeah. check it out if you have a chance to see it at an opera house near you it's not done very often if you don't live by like a repertory theater that's true it's not done as frequently probably because i mean the role of verter especially is so hard hard <laughs> it's hard but then you were saying that the mezzo role is often sung by a bigger voice Usually it just because it's a larger orchestra. Right. Yeah. But so, that's that's sort of changing, which yeah. is, you know, yeah. fine. It's not Wagner. I mean. Right. It's La Fille de Wagner. It's La Fille de Wagner. <laughs> Tying it all back together. Yes. There it is. Well, thank you, audience members, for listening to this episode of Opera After Dark. Hopefully you're yeah. very excited about Verter. We'll be back with you next week with another episode of Opera After Dark. In the meantime, find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also at operaafterdark.com. We would love it if you left a review of the podcast wherever you're listening to it. Uh, And also, you might consider going to patreon.com slash operaafterdark to support the podcast. Helps us keep it going. So we appreciate that. Yes, thank you again, Elspeth, for such a wonderful storytelling it was my pleasure delightful i can tell (laughs) we'll see you guys next week i'm kyle i'm naomi and i'm elspeth thanks for listening thanks for listening